0: Assumptions, and posed many questions that continue to challenge me. Likewise, the astonishing journal of Lydia Jackson Schweitzer provided a catalyst for what has proved to be an ongoing personal development process. I take comfort in knowing Lydia confronted similar issues and came to similar conclusions a century before me. As was common in her era, she was a skilled diarist. For me, to read about her joys and struggles, was to discover a sister spirit and was abundant recompense for the other frustrations of the case. I am aware that my theory of psychology has been described variously by my peers as unusual, radical, renegade, or ridiculous, though my graduate and postgraduate studies at Harvard were conventional— my experiences after the death of my husband proved to me that prevailing paradigms of human consciousness and behavior were insufficient to explain certain phenomena. I now believe that no theory of psychology can be complete unless it accommodates the reality that we are shaped to a considerable degree by relationships in many forms from the past and from beyond the grave. It must accept that fact that dying is a crucial developmental act for which we prepare consciously or unconsciously throughout our lives and for which we are equipped by nature to manage as personalities. Freud's latter-year emphasis upon Thanatos, the death wish, as a primary engine of human behavior, demonstrates his emerging awareness of the important role of death in personality formation. Finally, just as psychology has had to adapt to the influence of the harder sciences of evolutionary biology and neuroscience, it will ultimately have to accommodate physics, including the bizarre domains of quantum mechanics and chaos theory. From the start, I have relied on deep, empathic identification with others. In most cases, I do not see ghosts or fragmentary personality residuals so much as become them. Similarly, I identify powerfully with my living clients and others met during an investigation. I absorb their characteristics. I feel for them and with them. I lose myself in them. I suddenly notice myself, or worse, don't notice, speaking with another person's accent, feeling his or her arthritic joints, taking on a stranger's worldview, using gestures that are not mine. This is essential to understanding my clients' experiences, but it is a dangerous tendency. I have been able to maintain a clear sense of myself as a separate personality only through a great deal of discipline, assisted by the vigilance of my colleagues at Sci Research Associates, Joyce Wu and Edgar Mayfield. Whatever its neurological mechanisms... This extreme countertransference has been among the most difficult aspects of my process to explain or to defend as a therapeutic practice. In part, I blame this difficulty on the fact that we lack a vocabulary for such experiences, that our terminology is limited by the reductively mechanistic bias that currently dominates Western scientific thought. Ultimately, however, I can't speak objectively of these experiences— because objectivity is an inadequate tool. Human consciousness is not inherently objective. We experience our lives as vast, elusive, unending, and hugely variable subjectivities. Life is knowable, explicable, or communicable only by the sharing of subjectivity. We do have a word for such sharing or merging. Communion. In Latin, the term means simply mutual participation, yet for us it also conveys, appropriately, profound spiritual and moral connotations. My communion with the subjective lives of others is therefore not readily susceptible to the scalpel of analysis, nor, arguably, ought it to be. It is certainly true that my approach has led to unusual experiences— but I can honestly say it has never been my desire to seek out the bizarre or anomalous manifestations of the paranormal world for their own sake. The normal world is frightening, unpredictable, and dangerous enough to satisfy any such urge, if I had one, as the San Francisco investigation amply demonstrates. On either side of the dimensional mirror, my only goal has been to understand the truth, to better know what it means to be human what we are at bottom, what we are capable of, what moves us, what the mind really is, how it really works, what abides inside us in the places we cannot observe, what matters most about being, for our brief allotment of days, alive and aware. And yes, whether we are worthy beings or not, or, as Lydia Schweitzer so well distilled the question, how we choose to be worthy beings, or do not. It is in this context that I present my case study of the dynamics surrounding the person known officially only as UCSF Unknown Human Remains 3024. I proceed knowing that many of you will remain skeptical of my approach and conclusions, but I also know that others are willing to accompany me on this foray into distant and exotic territory. I take comfort that you too understand that the world is a far more mysterious place than we often assume, and that we live among what is in many ways a society of strangers. Yes, look to your left and to your right right now, and you will see a stranger. Who is she? What motivates him, what past shaped her, what future awaits him, you cannot know. If you find this an uncomfortable proposition, please remember, again, as Lydia pointed out, that stranger is also more familiar, more intimately understood by each of us than we are typically willing to admit. From this, I think, we can derive some measure of hope and solace. Part One An Unintentional Autobiography Chapter One The Bones had been assembled in roughly their former working order, a symmetrical array of odd ivory-brown shapes that took up virtually the whole length of an eight-foot stainless steel table. Cree stood at the foot of the pallet with Uncle Bert and Dr. Horace Scobold, head of the University of California Forensic Anthropology Lab, as Scobold introduced her to the skeleton.
1: First, some generalities. From a cursory look at bone development, I'd say our subject was male, about five foot eight in stature, and between 20 and 40 years old, race uncertain, given the um, obvious developmental abnormalities.
0: Horace Scobold was a tall, apple-cheeked man in his mid-60s, dressed in khakis, a white shirt, and a bow tie. He paused to appraise Cree with watery blue eyes that were owlish behind thick-lensed glasses. Do you have much background in anatomy, Miss Black? Unfortunately, no. More in psychology.
1: Well, for an adult human male of his age and size, the phalanges, toe bones, have very unusual proportions. The distal and medial sections are extremely short and stubby. If I had seen them alone, I might have said they indicated brachydactylia-type BHA1. The typical foreshortening is readily apparent in the fingers as well. Cree bent to look more closely as Dr. Scobold used a chopstick to
0: point out each feature. The bones of both feet had been arranged in two fans at the end of the table, raying longer shafts ending in a series of short knuckly knobs. They had been dry-brushed, but not yet washed, Scobold explained, so as to preserve any instructive chemical traces or DNA sources. He hadn't had time to do much with the skeleton since Bert had brought it over from the San Francisco medical examiner's office. The array on the table gave off a chalky, earthy scent that Cree was a little reluctant to inhale. Even to her inexperienced eyes,
1: these bones didn't look right. But brachydactylia is contraindicated by other features, Scobold went on. Such as the metatarsals, the bones of the foot, which are unusually long and rather delicate. Highly unusual. Factoring in aspects of the heel, I would guess that this man had a hard time walking on the soles of his feet. It's likely he would have felt more comfortable with his heel raised. The chopstick traced
0: the various foot bones. Scobold's style reminded Cree less of a distinguished scholar than of a small-town funeral home director, a sober heir, blandly pious, resigned. Either he had faced some deep sorrow in his life, she thought, or it was something he affected because it seemed the appropriate...